Welcome to Faith Center Foursquare Church's Message of the Week. For more information on the church or ministry, head on over to our website, eurekafaithcenter.org, or find us on Facebook or Instagram. Now, we hope you enjoy this message. So we're going to pick up in Acts chapters 9 through 11. The last time I was with you, we looked at 5 through 8. We're going to touch on a little bit from James at the end, and I'm calling this the Soldier's stories, because I'm really going to focus on chapter 10, and chapter 10 is the story of Cornelius, one of my favorite parts of the book of Acts, and so that, that's going to be where we're going to, you know, come into real focus, but want to um, start with touching on chapter 9, and then we'll give a little bit about chapter 11, and what we're going to be considering this morning is how faith moves from belief to action, and how God meets our expectations. Hold on to that word meets, because maybe I'm going to tweak that word just a little bit as we go, but how God meets our expectations. So in chapter 9, Paul has his Jesus encounter on the Damascus road, and it was followed, like most of our encounters with Jesus, it was followed with blindness, healing, conversion, and (laughs) thank you for listening. And um, and uh, it says that Jesus even gave Paul some insight into everything that he was going to suffer. So I'm going to not deal with the actual event where uh, Jesus meets Paul, but I'm going to skip ahead to verse 10 of chapter 9 and listen fast because I'm going to read quickly. It's not for you uh, to follow along on the screen, but if you want to follow along um, in the Word, you can. And unless they put it up. No, they didn't put it up there. So, wait, did they? Wait, what? Oh, I didn't even know it was going to be there. That's so... So all this time I've been telling people I'm just going to read it fast. And, and there it's been there all along. Yay. All right, so you don't, have to, you don't have to read so quickly. But just follow up. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him. Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. Now, isn't it funny that here's Ananias telling Jesus giving him the what for? We've never done that, have we? But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Now, I don't know if that, if Jesus showed Paul everything that he was going to suffer for his name, or if it was sort of a progressive revelation, but he definitely saw all that he was going to suffer for Jesus. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. So, Again, you don't have to answer this out loud or even raise your hand, but how many of us would have chosen to follow Jesus, we would have begun our journey with him if we had begun it with um, finding out how much we were going to suffer? 
<laughs> yeah, some of you are getting it. Um, now, in America, we, it's, hard, it's hard to relate to maybe the idea of suffering for Jesus because really, honestly, very few of us have, especially within the quantity or, or quality that we see people suffering in, in other nations even today, and especially if we see what Paul suffered. And if you want to look and see what Paul suffered for Jesus, you can, you can just take note of this, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 gives a listing, and it starts really at verse 16, but 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul gives a listing of all the things that he suffered up to that point um, for following Jesus. So there's much more in chapter 9, but we're going to move ahead to chapter 10. So let's look at 10, 1 through 8, because this is going to lead us to Cornelius. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. Okay, so the thing about the book of Acts, again, if you think back, I said it covers 30 years, and so Luke had to be, um, he had to be conservative with his words. He couldn't tell us everything that happened. But, but there's, uh, l- let me just set the scene for you here just a little bit. First of all, a centurion. What's a centurion? Well, within the title centurion, you, you get a glimpse of what they were. They were commanders of a hundred, century, hundred, centurion. So they were commanders of a hundred, and the centurions were placed throughout the Roman Empire to be the Roman presence in all the outpost cities and towns that were large enough to require a centurion and his presence. So he was the, he was the man on the ground for Rome in Caesarea. Now, the other thing about Caesarea, and I've heard it pronounced Caesarea, which may be a better pronunciation, but Caesarea is the way I do it. Um, you see the name Caesar in Caesarea. So, it, again, it, it tells us this is Roman territory, this is, this is Rome governing this. The other thing that you don't really get from just reading it is that Joppa and Caesarea are 32 miles apart. So, when Cornelius sends his three people to Joppa, they're going to walk about 16 hours to get there. Now, some of us would say, walking 16 hours, that's suffering for Jesus right there, right? But, but that was normal. That was normal. And the other thing that you don't really see from this, which I'm speculating, I believe that, that uh, Cornelius sent the soldier along with them, two servants and a, and a devout soldier. I believe he sent the soldier for protection. That just makes sense to me. So we have these three going. And while they're on their way, we... We, 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 shift to, um, we shift to Peter. So 
Peter is up on the roof of Simon the Tanner by the sea. Now, something else you don't really get from the story, but, but it's true of the times. If you were a tanner in the Jewish culture, you were unclean. So tanners were put outside of the city wall because they were unclean, and they would have to be at least 50 cubits from the wall. Well, this is a little different because it's not quite as structured as, as, as maybe as strictly as maybe just pure Jewish Judaism was. But, but, but nevertheless, Simon the Tanner is outside the town because he's a tanner, and he's near water because tanning hides needs a lot of water, and he's near the sea and the water because the sea, I know we live in Eureka, we have prevailing winds because we live by the ocean. And so, so it, it would be windy to blow the stink away. It all kind of fits, right? So here, anyway, here's, here's Peter. He's with Simon the Tanner. And some believe that, that Peter actually spent up to three years with Simon the Tanner. Doesn't mean anything to our story today, but I just think it's kind of interesting. It, it shows to me that, that Peter is starting to understand something different about following Jesus. It, it's sort of a continuing revelation as Peter, coming from Jewish world, following Jesus, he's beginning to expand his idea about what it means to be a Jesus follower, because here he is living with a tanner. So anyway, as he's up there, he gets the vision that we're somewhat familiar with, maybe, of the sheet being let down from heaven by the four corners, and it opens up, and all these, these furry animals and uh, reptiles and and birds of the air are on there, and, and God says what, what we would expect him to say to Peter. Peter, I know you're hungry. Arise, kill and eat. And Peter says, no way. I'm not killing and eating any of those things. Lord, you know I've never violated any of, my, uh, any of the law, any of the, the, the ways I worship you, including my diet. And, and it happens a second time. Peter, kill and eat. No, Lord, I can't. At third time, Peter, kill and eat. And at just that time... He's, he's pondering this vision. The Holy Spirit says, there, there are some guys here from, from Caesarea to take you back to a man named Cornelius, and they're right now down at the door. And so he goes down, and he meets them, and this gets us to our first point. Faith in God believes or trusts. How many? I like synonyms, so that's why I put the parentheses. Do you like synonyms? Not cinnamons, synonyms. Do you like syn synonyms, right? The opposite of a synonym is an antonym. Synonyms. Faith in God believes or trusts. It compels or motivates and then behaves or acts in ways that honor him. So Peter didn't have all the answers. He's being called to a man named Cornelius who he knows is a Gentile, but he's going to go anyway. However, with him, there were uh, six others that went with Peter, and they were more skeptical than Peter, is my guess. They were also Jewish followers of Jesus, and they went along with Peter. So now let's pick up in chapter 10, verse 23. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the believers from Joppa went along. Now, it doesn't say how many believers here, but in chapter 11 it does. It says that there are six of them. The following day he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence, 
But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I am only a man myself. Well, when we read that, it almost seems like the, here's Cornelius like worshiping Peter. And, but that's not really what Peter's reacting to. Peter is saying, look, we're just equals here. It, I know you're giving me honor. And it's quite a thing that Cornelius gave Peter that kind of honor because Cornelius is the man in charge. But God had been speaking to Cornelius and Cornelius was seeking God. And so here's the messenger of God. And so Cornelius does what he thinks is appropriate. He bows himself humbly before Peter. Peter says, get up. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you're well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? So for approximately 16 hours, walking back from, from Joppa back to Caesarea, Peter had the opportunity to think about what this vision was all about. Clearly, this wasn't a vision for Peter to have a diet change. It had nothing to do with that. What it had to do with was him coming to the understanding that God's grace, God's salvation was for everyone. Even though he should have understood that by now, there was still something that was blocking him fully understanding that. And so God sent the vision. He, he understands the vision. So when he gets there, he can tell him exactly what the Lord has spoken to him. Cornelius answered, three days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good for you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Okay, there's the plot from Acts. I want to give you a personal story, a, a plot from, from a mission story in my life. So, long time ago, like a long, long time ago, when I was like 12, 13, I, I couldn't have been any older than that because it happened in 1997. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Um, no, actually, I, I was 30-something. Um, and do the math. Yeah, I was 30-something. And so we were invited to go on a mission trip with, uh, with Forskar, a group of us, a large group of us actually, to Romania and Hungary. Leslie was there. Was Rebecca there? No. I was thinking about you while I was there, so maybe that's it. But Leslie was there. And while we were there, uh, a gentleman approached uh, our ministry team that was doing street, like uh, skits and stuff out in the streets of Aradia, Romania. And so he walked up and he talked to the leaders that he, people that he thought were leaders of our group. And they, in our debrief that evening, in a group about, in a setting about like this, there were 100, 120 of us or so on this trip. And, and so we're in a group like this. There was a call put out for two that, that our leaders had been approached by a, a Romanian slash Hungarian pastor looking for two pastors to come and and spend time with his churches. And so when that call was put out, I just felt the Holy Spirit say, yeah, yeah. So I got up on one side of the, of the group and, 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 a, and a friend of mine, Mike Sarah, got up on the other side. 
And we both came forward, and as we stood over, like, hey, you're going to, yeah, you know. So, so we stood there, like, oh, I, okay. So then they, they told us what we were going to do. We were going to meet Attila the next morning at 6.30 in the morning. And he was Hungarian, by the way. So he was Attila the Hun. <laughs> That's actually how I refer to him. When I, whenever I talk about it, I refer to him as Attila the Hun. But yeah, what a great guy. But to help you understand the story a little bit more. So he was about, oh, I would say 5'9". No, he was, he was about 6'3", 6'2", 6'3", 29 years old. And he had a beetle haircut, you know, I want to hold your hand. A beetle. He, was like, he looked just like a beetle. He had a beetle haircut, straight black hair. And so here we are. Mike and I are meeting Attila. And um, so right out of the gate, Attila did a couple things that we were just told never, ever do. So never exchange your money anywhere except in a formal exchange place. And so we meet Attila. We go into this formal exchange place. And uh, Attila says, brothers, oh, wait, I have to apologize for using Attila voice because I guess it's not appropriate to do that anymore. But to help with the story, I'm just going to do it a little bit. Um, so he says, he says uh, brothers, do you have any money? Oh, yes, Attila, how much would you like? Oh, brothers, um, we need money for travel. So, so I, I gave him some money, and I thought he was going to go up to the counter and exchange the money. Nope, he went right over to the side here and starts dealing with some guy off the street. And I'm, I'm already thinking, oh, great, we're violating the rules. This is going to get weird. So he, he exchanged some money. Then we get on the train, and on the train, when we get to the border between Romania and Hungary, because we're moving from Romania back into Hungary, on the train... Uh, we're sitting in our, in our berth or whatever they call those rooms that you sit in in a train. And so we're sitting there, and Attila's facing us. Mike and I are here. He's facing. And the conductor comes in, and the conductor sits down. They just start, like, yelling back and forth but not looking at each other. They're just, Arr! and they're talking in language we don't understand. It's like, what is going on? And I, so the conductor left. I said, Attila, what's happening? And so now I'm going to go out of Attila voice. He said, well, brothers, I didn't buy the tickets to cross the border, so I'm, I'm, I'm haggling over the tickets to get from Romania to Hungary. And that was another thing we were told, never do that. And he said, he said but they're cheaper that way. So then he asked the question that he was prone to ask several times throughout this trip, brothers, do you have some money? And so, so we gave him some money. He, he, talk, he, he talked to the, to the conductor. The conductor gave us the okay we got in to Hungary. Hold that thought. We'll come back to the story. So now we skip to Acts 10, 34, and 35. Some remember Peter is standing in front of all of these people that are waiting expectantly, and Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. And Peter is just like barely getting started. And what happens if you know the story, uh, it's like everybody begins speaking in tongues. They're just, the Holy Spirit shows up. So continuing on in verses 44 through 48, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that they get, think of that word, underline it in your brain, astonished. They were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even, astonished, even on Gentiles. 
for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, and I love what Peter says. I love this. Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. So this brings us to our second point, and I'm going to tie it back to Attila. This brings us to our second point, and, and that is this, that God often answers our expectations in unexpected ways. Peter had it all in his mind how this was going to go, and boom, before he could barely get started, the Holy Spirit came. It looked just like what had happened on the day of Pentecost to him, less the tongues of fire. And so now he says, well, what's left to do? They've already been filled with the Spirit, so now we baptize them, right? And welcome them into the family. When, after we finally got to Hungary, which it wasn't that far, but it, but, but it was a while. We got to Hungary. We got there later, kind of in the afternoon. And we, we're in this big yard with a family in the house and stuff, but we go to this other place where there's an, a little stucco church building in this ratty-looking field with a kind of a barbed wire fence around it to keep the animals out. And, you know, thistles and weeds, and, but that's where we're meeting. So we're outside, and we speak. It was my first time ever speaking to a group through an interpreter, which was like the coolest thing ever. I, I didn't expect that to be so cool, but it was like the Lord would give me something. I would say it. It would be interpreted. I mean, it was just this really cool rhythm. And then so after that was done, Attila said, um, you know, to all of them, anybody who would like prayer, come up. And so everybody came up. And there was probably oh, maybe 30, 35 people. It wasn't like a gigantic group of people, but, but they all came forward. And so we started down at the left-hand side, and I, didn't, I couldn't talk to the people. So I said, Attila, find out what... It was a mother and daughter. I said, Attila, find out what, what they need. And... Um, so he bent down, and he listened, and he turned to us, and he said, Brothers, uh, I, I keep kind of getting the accent. I have to stop. Brothers, he said, she says that her daughter is deaf and dumb. Oh, well, I haven't prayed for that in America. So I just did what you would have done. I said, well, Holy Spirit, here we go. So we laid hands on the girl, and we prayed. I, I didn't get emotional in the other two services. This is special for you. So we, uh, we prayed, and after like a couple minutes, I turned to Attila, and I said, Attila, what's happening? And so he bent down, and he talked to the mother, and he looked at us, and he said, I have to use Attila voice on this. Praise God, brother. She can hear. <sighs> yeah. It's like, praise God. <laughs> And, um, you know, my point was God meets, meets our expectations in unexpected ways, but one of the ways that he meets expectations is unexpectedly through people who would never expect to be used, okay? We have to be open to the Holy Spirit using us to do things that we could never ask or even imagine. We went through several more things with Attila, but the day that we were leaving, we were headed to the train station, 
And all these people were trailing behind us. And I, Attila, are they just coming to send us off? What, what, are, what are they doing? And he said, brothers, when I found out you were coming, I called all of my church leaders from all the churches that he led five churches in Romania. He said, I called my leaders from the five churches throughout Romania, and they came here to hear you. He said, we've been praying for pastors, Pentecostal pastors from America to come for four years. After we prayed for the people on the night that the, that the woman was, that her daughter was healed, I sat, Mike, Sarah, and I shared a hide-a-bed in this house with these people that we were staying with. And before he was awake in the morning, I sat on the edge of the bed, and I just cried and cried. I said, God, this is too wonderful. And I, I literally said these words. I said, this is like being in the book of Acts. This is amazing. And I'd been married at that time for 18 years, and I had three children. And, but, but in that moment, I said, Lord, I don't even want to leave this. I don't even want to go back. This is too wonderful. And then he said, yeah, but you got to go back. <laughs> and I said, okay. <laughs> don't be surprised. If you're seeking the Lord, if you're seeking his will, don't be surprised if he uses you to answer somebody else's expectation. He has chosen to use us to do his will. I've thought about the story of Cornelius. Did Peter have to really come? Not really. There are so many things in the stories that we read in the book of Acts. Did God have to do it the, the way that he did it? No. He chose to do it so that we could be blessed, so that we could be a blessing to each other as we follow him. So the skeptics, chapter 11, they, call, they kind of call Peter on the carpet like Peter gets back and they say, what's up? And Peter is like, has to give a full detailed accounting to the church back in Jerusalem. And fortunately, the skeptics that went with, and I, and I say skeptics because I really believe that they were, the ones that went with Peter, they witnessed the whole thing because it says they were astonished, right? That even to the Gentiles... So they were amazed at what had taken place. And, and here's what the church said, chapter 11, verse 18. When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, so then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Amen. We're them, right? We're Gentiles. And verses 19 through 30 go on, or yeah, 19 through 30 of chapter 11 go on to explain um, how the church in Antioch rises up, and the church in Antioch becomes a very powerful and prominent church in what God is doing in the Gentile world. And they send Barnabas to go and check out. Barnabas was from the tribe of Levi. They send Barnabas to go and check out what was going on. And Barnabas is just so impressed with what's happening. He just blesses them and says, you guys are doing great. Keep it up. So God was moving among the Gentiles and... It was amazing. Let's look at our next point. This is sort of a sub-point, 
And it's this, that we must submit our priorities and beliefs about what God is doing to what God is actually doing. We have to submit our, our priorities to His, and we have to submit our beliefs about what we think God is doing to what He is actually doing. See, that goes right along with the last point that we talked about expectations. We, we often will be called to surrender what we think God is doing to what He's actually doing. And this shouldn't have really come as a surprise, if you think about it, to the, uh, to the apostles, because these were the disciples that had been with Jesus, which brings us to the reference. Our, our title is The Soldier's Stories. Another story that I absolutely love in Scripture is the story of the Roman centurion in Luke 7 or Matthew 8. Same story told a little bit differently. So that's where we're going to go right now. When Jesus had finished, so this is Luke chapter 7, starting verse 1. When Jesus had finished saying all this, and this one you don't have a slide for. When Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. There a centurion servant whom his master valued highly was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, which I commend them for. This man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. And so Jesus, hearing that, he went with them. No, I don't think that's why Jesus went with them at all. I think in Jesus' mind, he's saying, oh, you still don't really get it. You think that I'm going to go do this because of what the centurion has done for you. But what I'm really going to go do is I'm going to go show that grace has come even to a centurion. I think that in Peter's mind that he was probably linking these together finally when this was all done with Cornelius. I don't know. I just want to believe that. So Jesus goes. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to him to friends to say to him, "Lord, don't trouble trouble yourself for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof." That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowds following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. I, I look in my life and I wonder how many times the Holy Spirit said go and I didn't go. Or how many times the Holy Spirit said do this and I, and I didn't do it. But I'll tell you what, the times that I have agreed have been amazing. And my encouragement to us today is that we have that kind of response like the Roman centurion did with Jesus or like Cornelius did. Cornelius was so expectant of what Peter had to bring. He said, we're all here. We're ready. Just bring it. And so he, he, his, whole, his whole house and all the visitors and everybody that was there, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They, they all came to Jesus that day. One of the things, uh, I've never been a soldier um, I, I can't relate to this from experience, but 
it's clear as we look at the centurions that there's, there's something about how they live, how they obey, that says something about active faith. And I'm going to take it a step further. I'm going to say that obedience is active faith. These centurions are examples for us, but I would encourage us to be examples for each other. That some of my best encouragement has come from my brothers and friends who, who follow the Lord. They help me. They keep me on track. James was the half-brother of, of Jesus, and we believe that this... Um, this James may have been the James that was the writer of the book of James. There's some, there's some question about that. Um, but James certainly, James the half, now you know why I say half-brother, right? Because they had different dads. James, the, some, some of you got it. <laughs> James the half-brother of Jesus became a Jesus follower after the resurrection. And so James would have also known about the Roman centurion that Jesus encountered by way of stories, at least. And he would have known that, that grace had come to... Now, now the, the Roman centurion in, in the Gospels, we wouldn't say he got saved, but God's grace clearly came to him, right? So picking up James uh, chapter 1, verses 22 through 25, I, I want to talk about the, the blessings of active faith. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. I want us, church, to be people that walk in active faith. I don't know what's coming ahead, but I know that the days are getting harder. You have to not even be aware of what's happening in the world if you can't see that things are getting harder. And, and they could get harder for us, too, and we need each other. We need our faith to be active, to be submitted to Jesus, to be listening to the Holy Spirit. I, I speak that to myself before I even speak it to you. So the last point. Head knowledge becomes heart knowledge when we walk it out. And then the, the last part that I tag sounds kind of, you know, hoity-toity, but application confirms theory, right? We, we can theoretically know what it means to follow Jesus. We can read all day long about what it means to follow Jesus. But James said, if you just read it and you don't do it, if you don't actually live it out, then it's, it, it's not really faith. It's just head knowledge. Head knowledge becomes heart knowledge when we walk it out. And there's such blessing in that. There's such blessing in that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for each one of these gathered here today. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak. Lord, I pray that you would confirm your word to us. And Lord, I pray that you would take us in this journey to the next step.
Lord, whatever the next step is for each one, maybe there are some here today, Lord, that have never said yes to you. They've never said, Jesus, I believe you died for my sins. I'm going to follow you as my Savior. And Lord, I want you, I want to live for you as my Lord. Lord, I pray that if there are those here today that have never made that choice, that your Holy Spirit would speak and that they would respond. And Father, for, the, for others of us who maybe we've gotten a little cold, would you heat us up again? And Lord, for others of us that, that just need to take whatever that next step is, Lord, I pray that you would encourage us and help us by your spirit and by each other. And Lord, we ask it in your name. Amen.